Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode four of the weekly UK True Crime podcast. I'm Adam. So, you and me, we have great judgment, right? Yeah. You can see this across all aspects of our lives, including our choice of partner, if we choose to have one, that is. However, there's at least one of your family or friends who have a partner of whom you don't approve. Now, that person has come straight to your mind, haven't they? But however close you are to them, you will know, maybe from harsh experience of trying to become involved, that in reality, your view doesn't make a blind piece of difference. And this is the whole subject of our case today. We examine a whirlwind romance leading to a relationship that spiralled out of control. It was obvious to everybody involved, but there was no way to prevent the chilling turn of events that ended with murder. In the UK and globally, regional newspapers are in rapid decline. They still tend to be bought by an older demographic, and one of the more popular sections is the obituaries, which allows people the opportunity to spot if somebody they know has died. In August 2016, many readers of a regional newspaper in Chorley, Lancashire, would have seen the following obituary in the paper and on the website. Edwards, David Mark, 20th of April 1964 to 23rd of August 2015. Husband of Sharon Edwards, stepdad to Carly and Kelsey. You are missed so much, you're always in my thoughts, you'll always be in my heart. I will love you forever, love your wife, Sharon. This was followed by three kisses. Enthusiastic readers of this notice, hmm, if that is indeed a term you can apply to people who read obituaries, enthusiastic, anyway, they would have noticed a similar entry the year before. There appears nothing unusual about this notice, which it's really quite touching. Until that is, you realise the note was written behind bars by the woman who brutally murdered David Edwards, his wife, Sharon. Back in 2000, David Edwards was a highly regarded criminal solicitor in Lancashire, which is a, a county in the northwest of England. In one routine case, he was defending a man called John Pritchard, who was accused of assaulting his former partner, 27-year-old Sharon Edwards, or Sharon Manser, as she was back then. Ms Manser presented herself as a victim of domestic violence, but in this case, Pritchard was found not guilty. Despite David's cross-examination of Sharon, which led to the acquittal, Sharon was still impressed by David as a solicitor. So much so that she approached David immediately after the case had ended to ask for advice about her neighbour dispute that she was currently involved with, and David was happy to assist. David had no further contact with Sharon, and they didn't speak to each other again until May 2014, when David saw her on Facebook, and recognising her, he sent her a Facebook friend request, as you would do. In the intervening years, David had worked hard as a solicitor and he'd reached partnership level at his company, Stanley H. Cross & Co. Solicitors. At 51, David was the father of a young daughter from a previous relationship who he saw regularly. His real passion was football. David loved to relax watching his local football club, Chorley, where he had a season ticket. And also, he had a collection of over 200 football shirts. 
other interests included playing pool in local pubs, and after going to watch Chorley play, he would often go and play pool. Nine years younger than David at 42, Sharon was now a single mum with four children. Before meeting David again, Sharon had been single for about ten and a half years. They began to exchange messages and an online friendship developed. A month later, Sharon jokingly invited him round her house and half an hour later he arrived in a taxi. From there, the relationship developed into romance and their relationship became very serious very, very quickly. At first, all went very well and they spent all of their free time together. Friends say that David was besotted with Sharon and there was no doubt in his mind that she was the person he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. Just five months after their first meeting, David asked Sharon's father for permission to ask her to marry him. And in the same month, November 2014, Sharon accepted this proposal. David's Christmas card to Sharon in 2014 thanks her for making 2014 the best year of his life, adding, Next year is going to be ours. I love you. I want you. I'm going to have you. Always remember there is only one person for you in this life. The following summer, in June 2015, they married in their hometown of Chorley. And then they took their honeymoon in Las Vegas, where they renewed their vows at the Little White Wedding Chapel. Video footage of their wedding in Vegas shows an emotional David telling Sharon that she is everything he's ever wanted, and Sharon replying that he is her true soulmate. However, while Sharon looked every part the bride in wedding dress and tiara, clutching a posy of lilies, is it a posy? Clutching lilies anyway, David wasn't so good. In fact, he was in pretty bad shape. He wore makeup to disguise the fact that he actually had a black eye. Sharon explained that this was caused by hitting himself in the eye of the phone whilst calling room service, but friends and family of David didn't buy this for a second. And even before the wedding took place, they'd expressed serious doubts about his relationship with Sharon. The devastating reality was that David was suffering domestic violence at the hands of Sharon. He'd no way of knowing before they met that Sharon already had three previous convictions for domestic violence. One of these occurred in 2004, when she was actually cautioned for a vicious attack on a former partner who was bitten on the forearm and punched on the side of the face. David's dad, Anthony, recounted that as he drove the couple into Birmingham to buy their wedding rings, there was a big argument about a season ticket for Chorley Football Club. Anthony found the heat of this argument worrying, and in the end he had to tell them both just to shut up and stop arguing. Both he and his wife tried to persuade David not to marry Sharon. Friends and colleagues of David spoke about a clear decline in him after he started seeing Sharon. There was a decline in his appearance, his professionalism, even in his self-respect. Although David was partial to an alcoholic drink or two, after meeting Sharon, he quickly increased his intake of alcohol. It seems that Sharon and David both drank to excess, and as they drank, this caused Sharon to become increasingly insulting and belittling towards David. Sharon tended to drink Foster's or white wine, and according to her, she used to drink every other day, but that increased after she met David, who was already a heavy drinker. David liked to drink Shiraz, Chardonnay, Lager, well, pretty much anything else that was going. From October 2014, a good 10 months before the murder took place, Sharon readily admits that their drinking was out of control. It's fair to say that Sharon was deeply unpopular with David's work colleagues, who could see the effect they had on a man they deeply respected. 
colleagues say she made an overbearing nuisance of herself in his work environment. His professional life certainly suffered, and he went from being a model employee to becoming regularly absent. Even when he did go to work, he would turn up at court looking dishevelled, often in shabby clothes, and he seemed distracted. His secretary, in fact, said that on one occasion, he even wore makeup in court to cover the bruises. In the course of his work, he arrived at court with scratches, bite marks and even a black eye. He revealed to an ex-partner who worked at the court, a lady called Rosina McCarthy, that his wife had hit him with a coffee table and with an ashtray. This situation deteriorated further after they returned from Vegas. David's company was bought by another law firm, Kevels. Regrettably, this led to David being informed in July that his job was being made redundant. When he told Sharon that he was to lose his job, this appears to have been the, the catalyst for even more tension in the relationship, and Sharon displayed an increasingly, she was belligerent and more disrespectful attitude towards him. Before marrying David, Sharon had told friends that she, she really quite fancied being married to a solicitor. She'd no need to work, she enjoyed frequent holidays, and she boasted of having three homes. She enjoyed not having to worry about money. If he lost his job, however, she would lose it all. And this is not the dream that she'd brought into. Not one bit. And she was going to make David pay for this. Although David was given two months' redundancy, he was asked not to come back into work due to Sharon's previous conduct. Sharon swore at a partner at Kevil's solicitors on the phone, which she later claimed was just standing up for her husband, but must have been really embarrassing. And staff at the firm had been told not to put calls from Sharon through to any other members of staff as she was so abusive. David's secretary said that she was making up to 12 calls a day to the office and at other times she could be obscene. For example, she told his secretary on one occasion that David won't be coming into work today. I'm busy. Well, she said they were, they were going to be busy making love all day. On another occasion, at a work event, Sharon was ejected and escorted from the building after slapping David in a fit of jealousy just because he asked a waitress for a lighter. There were other instances. For example, a message found on his work dictaphone after his death. In this message, the couple discussed how to explain an injury that he had suffered as his increasingly suspicious colleagues had not believed his original explanation. It's really no surprise that his new firm didn't want David to work his redundancy period. After David lost his job and the drinking became heavier, the relationship became even more fraught. Sharon was incredibly jealous of David. When his ex-partner, Rosina, who we just spoke about, had commented on a, it was an innocuous Facebook picture, Sharon angrily made 10 calls to her at work to confront her. There were numerous incidents, usually after heavy drinking, when Sharon flew into a jealous rage. On one occasion when they were in Vegas, David texted one of his work colleagues to call Sharon. He had to reassure her that David had never been there with a previous partner as she was going absolutely wild and on the point of leaving and not going through the wedding. Neighbours spoke of screaming and arguing. One in particular said that after Sharon moved in with David, the whole atmosphere of the road where they lived changed. She added, I could hear a female shouting, but I'd never heard David raise his voice in all the time we knew him. And this is what comes across from the people that spoke about David at the trial and beforehand. He was a very gentle man, and so Sharon knew that he was never going to retaliate physically to anything that she did to him. In August, the couple went on holiday to Mallorca. On this holiday, other guests witnessed aggressive behaviour from Sharon towards David. On one occasion, 
After a huge argument in public, Sharon threw a drink in David's face and stormed off. Another time, the couple took part in a competition where David had to wear a onesie, but he was incredibly drunk and he fell over, after which Sharon stepped in and took his place with a holiday rep. Another person who viewed their antics in Mallorca said, I think there was a comment made where she said to him to stop drinking, but it appeared to me he was in the wrong if he had too much to drink, and also in the wrong if he didn't drink enough. She would cajole him and ask him to drink more, and then she would complain about his drunkenness. Others spoke about her loudness when she was drunk and her unpleasant behaviour to David, the bullying they saw during the trip, with a number commenting that David appeared he, he appeared really henpecked and quiet with his shoulders down. On August the 22nd, the couple arrived back from holiday. On arriving home from the airport, David was found in the bathroom bleeding from his chest and his leg by Sharon's 19-year-old daughter. She asked her mother, as you would, what on earth was going on, but Sharon told her that she had not intended to hurt him and it was nothing. Before this assault, they'd stopped at an off-licence to buy four bottles of wine. Footage recorded in the store shows a disagreement between the couple, which was serious enough for other customers to become involved to separate the pair. One customer told Sharon to leave David alone and she drunkenly replied, He's not even a solicitor anymore, he's been struck off. Witnesses said it was so sad to see as David was clearly embarrassed as Sharon mocked him. Later, the couple went out for more drinks at the Duke of York pub in Chorley. Customers at the pub couldn't help but notice that David's clothes were clearly bloodstained. However, Sharon remained drunkenly and callously unconcerned at the sight of his blood. One witness in the pub said that during the evening, as Sharon became increasingly drunk and abusive, he was worried enough to invite David to come and sleep on his sofa which David declined. Sharon boasted in front of others that she'd got David sacked, and to her it all seemed to be just one big joke. Another witness heard Sharon call David a has-been. After leaving the pub, a heavily intoxicated Sharon was becoming increasingly abusive towards David. They were spotted by a police officer who was alerted by Sharon's screaming, and the officer felt the safest course of action was to remove them from the streets and to drive them home themselves. The officer had been wearing a body camera, which clearly recorded Sharon threatening her husband, shouting, Take me home, you idiot. I'm going to kill you. I swear, David, when I wake up tomorrow, I do not know what mood I'm going to be in. The next evening, Sharon had been doing household chores, and when outside, she chatted to a neighbour as she put the bins out. Five minutes after going back inside the house, she ran back to the neighbours in a hysterical state. She said she'd found David not breathing and required urgent help. The neighbours raced back to her house and they found David dead on his bed, half covered by a duvet, with a visible injury to his nose. Police were called to the Edwards home in Chorley at 8.20pm on Sunday, August 24th. By the time paramedics and police arrived at their home, they pronounced David dead at the scene. David had been killed by an 8cm knife wound to the chest. The fatal wound entered his right ventricle, causing huge internal bleeding. A litre of blood was found in his chest cavity and his lungs had collapsed. Sharon Edwards was arrested on suspicion of murder and taken into custody. When she was first booked in at Preston Police Station, Sharon said, David's not dead. I know him. He always sleeps with his mouth open. He's not dead. Trust me. Throughout her police interviews, Sharon refused to accept that her husband was actually dead. 
and at her first appearance in court on 26th of August at Preston Magistrates Court, Sharon still continued to insist that David was not actually dead. Why was this? Was this preparing for a, a plea of insanity? Or had she told herself that he really wasn't dead? It's quite hard to understand. On February the 23rd, 2016, Sharon's trial began at Manchester Crown Court. Sharon didn't dispute that she'd been holding the knife that had killed David, but she said the act wasn't intentional as he had walked onto the knife. If you look at the transcript of the court case, I think you see that the defence walked a very fine line. They didn't want to blacken David's character as he was the victim here, but they certainly asked the jury to consider if the abuse was as one-sided as being made out. They mentioned, for example, that when another ex-partner had once attacked David with a glass, he'd immediately finished their relationship. So, if that was the case, why would he stay with Sharon after supposedly suffering 12 months of significant abuse? A letter written to Sharon while David was at work in court was produced which said, Why oh why do I keep on self-destructing? And then David goes on to apologise for his behaviour, in particular that he was jealous, insecure and unstable. Sharon, she's very clear that she admitted, conceded that she was very jealous, but she said so too was David. He hadn't even liked it when she accompanied her mum to bingo and he'd been constantly jealous of her previous partners. Sharon absolutely denied being the aggressive party in their relationship, arguing that it was actually David who started all the arguments. When asked why David had told people that she'd attacked him, her explanation was that David found this less embarrassing to concede that he'd actually injured himself when drunk. The defence played heavily on his heavy drinking, as this played a key role in his death. On the day of his death, Sharon said the two of them had an argument in the afternoon about tax credits. She claims that she'd applied for tax credits in her old address as a wake-up call to make him stop drinking, so to make him think that she was going to leave him. He got angry and they'd argued. David then had waved a knife at her and as she took the knife from him, he drunkenly walked into it. The defence argued that the fatal wound supported Sharon's version of events as only 8 centimetres of the 21 centimetre total blade had entered David. If it had been murder caused by an intentional and deliberate thrust forward, more of the blade would have entered his body. The defence also produced evidence of David's various hospital admissions in the time they'd been together, which suggests that he was prone to falling when he'd been drinking. So falling on the knife was, was actually perfectly likely. When asked why she did not call for immediate assistance after the stabbing, Sharon said that David had begged her not to and they cleaned up the blood together. According to Sharon, once his wound had stopped bleeding, they'd moved upstairs and engaged in, to quote, mutual and affectionate sex. After cuddling for a while, she'd left him to sleep from around 4pm in the afternoon and had gone downstairs where she herself had fallen asleep. Although this sounds barely believable, maybe Sharon was telling the truth here. The prosecution didn't think so, saying she'd only used the story as it made it look like David's injuries weren't serious. However, experts for the defence suspect that David had not died immediately but he'd survived for at least four hours. He may not have realised how seriously he was injured and he could have functioned normally for a short time. So, on the face of it, this account is potentially feasible. 
Sharon said she spent the hour before finding David's body, sorting through the suitcases and playing Jelly Splash on her phone. And she said she didn't want to wake him up until the television programme Dragon's Den started. When the prosecution asked, is that because he was already cold and stiff? Sharon cried, please don't say that about him, please. The prosecution argued that Sharon's grasp of the truth was flimsy at best. The story they told is that the couple had been having the same row about the holiday from arriving home and that her continuing anger and abusive behaviour, as was shown the previous night, culminating in her murdering David. A number of witnesses who had known David for a long time told how he had confided in them about the abuse he was suffering. For example, CPS solicitor Andrea Fawcett, who had known David for more than 20 years, told how David had revealed about Sharon's jealous behaviour and it manifested itself on a daily basis. For example, David had told her that she'd punched him when he looked at a female presenter on the TV and she was constantly searching the house for details of previous partners. The post-mortem gave an insight into the historical level of abuse that David had suffered. It indicated regular results, including stab wounds to his chest and to his legs, bruises, abrasions, extensive blunt blows to his head, and several old and recent rib fractures. There were eight blunt force areas of bruising on his skull, of which seven were thought to be very recent. When asked about the recent bruises on his head, and also why the oven was covered in blood, Sharon said that when drunk, David fell into the ironing board, but she couldn't explain the others, except for saying that it's when he fell again when he'd been drinking. Other evidence from David's body clearly suggests that Sharon was lying. There were defensive injuries on David's body, including one through his fingernail, which was a similar age to the fatal wound. This suggests that David knew he was being attacked and tried to defend himself. When asked about the wounds David had suffered the day before he was killed when they'd been out at the pub, Sharon suggested they were caused by David's self-harming. Now, this was something she'd never mentioned to police in earlier questioning. It was almost as though she was just making it up as she went along. Another thing that she did in, in a similar vein was she suddenly said for the very first time that the reason she couldn't recall much about the night before at the Duke of York is because David had added the drug diazepam into her drink. These two bizarre allegations, and they are bizarre, they just appeared from nowhere, are likely to have frustrated her own legal team as much as the prosecution. The jurors took just three hours to find Sharon Edwards guilty of murder. The judge, William Davis, passed a life sentence with a minimum of 20 years. Addressing Sharon, he said, You are someone who has attacked people in the past. You have a bullying and violent nature. He said he was satisfied that this was not the first time she'd attacked David with a knife and that over the preceding months she'd assaulted him on more than one occasion. He added, This deadly attack was the culmination of long-term bullying by you on this respected member of the community. He accepted that Sharon had not intended to kill him but was satisfied that she certainly meant to cause really serious harm. Sharon Edwards showed no emotion as she was led from the dock. David's brother Peter spoke outside court about the importance for male victims of domestic abuse to be able to speak out and not fear that it could be seen as a sign of weakness. The chief inspector in this case, he spoke about this case clearly demonstrating that a domestic abuse is not exclusive to age, sex, status or profession. He added, The especially sad thing about this case 
is that Mr Edwards was embarrassed by the fact that he's being abused by his partner, a woman, and he seemed just to accept the situation, ignoring advice from friends to seek help. It's too late for David Edwards to get help, but if you or anyone you know is suffering domestic abuse at the hands of your partner, help is out there. Domestic abuse is always horrendous, and I think that the details of this case are hard to listen to when you think what David must have gone through in that time he was with Sharon and seeing it escalate. Domestic abuse against women is much more common. The utterly shocking reality is that it's estimated that globally one in three women will experience violence at the hands of a male partner. And in England and Wales, two women are killed every week by a current or former partner. Two women a week. However, the abuse of male victims is also a real issue and underreported. The Crime Survey for England and Wales suggests that about 600,000 men were victims of domestic abuse in the year to March 2015 and that one in six will suffer at some point during their lifetime. At the trial of Sharon Edwards, it emerged that David had actually confided in 11 people about the abuse he was suffering and, as we've heard, towards the end of his life he, he appears to have stopped trying to, to hide the injuries. It's almost as though he was accepting what was happening to him as part of the deal for being with Sharon, who who he loved and and still wanted to be with. Many of these 11 people urged him to leave Sharon, and many will no doubt now feel a, a level of guilt on his death. But here's the thing. You, you just can't make a grown man besotted by his partner to anything he doesn't want to do. We can offer advice, we can offer support, but that's all we can do. Looking at their relationship... You can see the motivations for both of them to be a couple. She was nine years younger than him and attracted by his money, the lifestyle and the social status in the community. And David, he clearly fell head over heels with Sharon and he was taken by the the sheer passion and the intensity of this romance. The, The really tragic fact is that when David sent his fateful Facebook request, he had no idea at all that Sharon had a track record of domestic violence or that she'd be capable of such behaviour. And if so, it surely wouldn't ever have been sent. I really hope you've enjoyed this podcast today. For more information, go to our website, truecrime.com, or leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other review sites. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for another edition of the True Crime Podcast. Thank you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.